0: Hey folks, welcome to episode 152 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Keevan Bybee. He's a general practice doctor, wound to tomb as they call it, and the host of the One School Project podcast. His podcast showcases conversations with niche experts about creating learning spaces for children in their local communities. You can listen to it and read some of the articles on his website, oneschoolproject.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Keevan has a you know, long history as a general practice doctor, working with you know, families over the long term and um, sometimes the short term. He brings that uh, experience, the curiosity, and the love for, um, for helping other people. To his podcast and his uh, mission of providing uh, children with safe spaces where they can access educational opportunities and opportunities to improve their overall well-being. Um, And without any further ado, uh, here's Keevan, and I'm going to play you out at the end of this episode with a freestyle by Christoph Crane called Water felt like it was pretty fitting for this episode, kind of have the same spirit. Enjoy. So how do you say your name, Kevin? Or Kevin, Keevan. Keevan. All right, cool. So uh, you're a general practice doctor? Correct. Family
1: practice, uh, primary care. Uh, we say womb to tomb, and I even deliver babies.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So you must get to develop a, a relationship with your patients then, like, uh, through everything, right? It's It's a very neat
1: privilege to have a lens on... Like being the very first person to lay eyes on somebody's scalp as it's coming out of a vagina and um, helping people through very trying times in their lives when they're suffering physically, emotionally or spiritually, as well as, you know, the high points when somebody loses 20 pounds and then they're like, oh, my God, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. And then also seeing people on their last days. Is is humbling and a privilege, and so yeah, it's a, as far as ways to um, put food on the table. I, I, you know, I feel pretty lucky to have this
0: job. What What does being a doctor mean to you? Lots of different things. You know,
1: I went into medicine after being an engineer for about five years and realizing that I didn't want to be my boss. I wasn't passionate about. Making microchips and wanting to use my brain in a way that might help people live a better life and so I was really attracted to primary care and family medicine that's what my dad did so using the the skills and information and problem solving aspects to help people um, navigate you know, through life in um, a a slightly more graceful way, I guess. Um, And, you know, the family medicine, you know, medicine in general, but family medicine especially, like I said, it's womb to tomb. It's a little bit of everything. It's the first person you go see when you're, you're sick to go find out if you need to see a specialist. And being able to know your limits and be humble and ask for help when you need to, but having enough confidence to take care of things. And like I said, basically just help people navigate their life a little bit more gracefully given the fact that, you know, we weren't born with intuitive knowledge of our our bodies. You know, like if, you know, if, you, if nobody had shown you, you know, uh, a drawing of your internal organs, we wouldn't know we have them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's why we need a relationship with a physician who knows these things so that they can help piece together like why I'm feeling this way, either emotionally or physically with what's going on in my life.
0: And e- even as like a you know, primary care doctor, you you then defer like the, the niche issues um, to a specialist, right? 100%.
1: So I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. In one sense, my job is to go normal, not normal. I know what this is. I don't know what this is and get somebody the help they need. Cause there's a lot of things that I can manage and it doesn't make sense for everybody who has non-specific chest pain to go see a cardiologist, right? Mm-hmm. So they come see me and then I can go, oh no, this is rib pain, this isn't heart pain. But if it is heart pain, I can send you to the cardiologist. Mm-hmm. So having a first layer to know which specialist to go to
0: mm-hmm. is real important. And um, how important is it for you to develop a relationship with your patients? I mean,
1: it's everything. I uh I mean it's certainly one of my challenges I'm a very rigid linear person and uh, a lot of us aren't but when we think about what helps people live the longest you know wear your seatbelt don't smoke try to eat you know fewer simple carbohydrates those are people have ingrained habits that took 20 years to build and it doesn't get fixed in a 15 minute visit with somebody and so having that time and being patient and knowing who they are so that you can present information in a way that makes sense to them so that they recognize that there is a way that they can make change in a way that feels good to them. And it just just takes time. I mean, if anybody's had a family member, they know that it It's not easy sometimes to even get your uh, family members to see the way you look at the world, right?
0: Mm -hmm. How how do you how do you reconcile um, when you're not necessarily as a doctor, but just maybe in life, or maybe more as a parent? But how do you reconcile when someone when when you want someone to see the see things the way that you see them, or to take impart take in the wisdom you're trying to impart? And it is conflicts with their current worldview or or what they want to do. Oh, man. <laughs> mm. I can tell you what I
1: do. And like, in retrospect, I know that it's not great. Like so many people, I'm sure I'm like, if you just give people the information and you tell them what the facts are, they'll be like, oh, obviously you're right. I'm going to do that thing. But in my better moments, um, you need to know where somebody is at, Mm -hmm. you know, in one sense, physically in another sense in emotionally, socially, or historically, um, so that, uh, um, you, like I said before, you, you know, just telling somebody the facts typically doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You need to make something salient for somebody. And by salient, How is it that they find it important? Mm -hmm. And
0: uh, um, because people, because people, everyone wants to live. Yes. And everybody wants uh, to improve or maintain their quality of life. Correct.
1: And um, I guess the way I would frame it is. Um, we're the human being is very complex. The way I think about it is we are a smattering of survival mechanisms that may or may not play well with each other on the inside. Mm-hmm. One of those survival mechanisms is a voice called the self that says, you're a unified thing, and so you should just feel one way about the world. And therefore, it gets confusing when we have wants and desires that conflict internally. So, recognizing that we're, um, you know, you've got the desire to stay alive for the long term, but on some level, the desire to stay alive is coupled with the desire to eat. And on some level, the desire to eat sweet things was uh, really important to some of our ancestors in the evolutionary chain. And so, that hasn't been Overridden. And so while we can want to live for a long time and feel 21 all the time, some of our basal, uh, like more basal um, survival mechanisms, don't jive with that. And so um, getting somebody to the place where they can recognize that they aren't just one homogenous unified survival mechanism where a bunch of different survival mechanisms and uh, telling them that in their language, you know, both in a literal sense, what language they speak as their mother tongue. And in another sense, the specific words we use in any given language so that it makes sense to them, uh, is, is always the challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
0: I just always, I think about a lot with the, I used to work with kiddos with like emotional behavioral disorders. And, um, uh, sometimes I would get like these, like I, I would get confused because it was like recess work and eat and like mainly all the kids wanted to do was recess. And what I thought was interesting about recess was, um, in recess, well, we could only do a handful of things. We could play tag, we could run, we could play games, right? And all the games you like, you improve at the game and everybody is competing in the game to win, Right. Uh, for the, I mean, for the most part, or you're competing with yourself, right? And you're improving over time. And my thought was, well, d- is that, or my question is, is, is since you're, you have an aversion to learning, right? Or at least in this environment, it appears so. Um, so let's, let's go outside and let's play. And theoretically, you should never get bored. But like, in the sense, like, if we're going to run, running around the loop should be enough. You shouldn't want to run faster or you shouldn't want to be able to run easier. But the minute you ask that you're bored and you want to expand the game of running, not change the game, but expand the game of running, then that's, we're basically getting back into that learning cycle that you were rejecting earlier. So why would you, in this scenario, naturally play, 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 and then ask for challenge, and then to, you know, to put yourself into that challenge or push yourself a little more and confront challenge. And then here, when I would ask you to confront challenge, you want to sit and you don't you don't want to do anything you want to play so I'm very confused
1: well so back to salience like what is it that the human brain finds important how does what somebody is externally asking me to do relate to what my nervous system is in, intuitively telling me that's important you know so much of our society is really at odds with you know how we evolved for the largest part of our uh you know evolution as you know homo sapiens sapiens we've been homo sapiens sapiens for call it 150,000 years. For the majority of that time, like up until 10,000 years ago, we lived in hunter-gatherer groups of 150 people. So the Dunbar's number, if anybody's interested, it's worth looking into. And so now we're in a society where we have specific demands of people to get them to be productive adults, quote, as fast as possible, so that we can get as much food into as many bellies as fast as possible you know we can get into the the why's and how we've lost touch with meaning but most young brains still expect to be on the african savannas and we have taken the fish out of water and we're demanding thing, things of them that don't jive with what their intuitive bodies want Mm -hmm. and you know and then for any given thing why do we get bored like any activity has a half-life on it we start something and it's almost as like there's a timer that goes off in our brain and that's just like a neurological thing in everybody like you start a timer and it's different for every activity call Mm -hmm. it 90 minutes and then 90 minutes later that timer goes off you're like okay now i'm bored i want to do something new and that's great because otherwise we do the same thing forever until we ran around in circles and died otherwise we wouldn't learn anything Mm -hmm. i don't know if that makes any
0: sense no that does make complete sense yeah And that's where we would get in there. It would uh, oftentimes, it was weird because if you're in like the scenario where as the teacher, right, um, or even like a behavior tech, right, your job is behavior tech, keep them safe. Teacher is to deliver teaching material. But the behavior interferes with the delivery of the teaching material, teaching material. And then you realize that the teacher and the student are in a dynamic Mm -hmm. to where it's like I need to deliver material and you need to consume the material so that we meet this deadline. But all of that is in the name of the only way that they were able to manage to track progress. Mm -hmm. And so you found that no one had any ill intent, but it was just for a lack of understanding on how to be effective in this, in how to be effective and how to be able to track that effectiveness. Yeah. Measure it. And I thought it was interesting with the kiddos because you would oftentimes have like a teacher getting more and more escalated because of them not meeting their expectation and then the student getting more and more escalated because there was more and more pressure to be able to do the activity. And you get to the point to where I feel like both the people are actually experiencing some level of um, social, you know, uh, an unhealthy social dynamic. And I realized that both the adult and child probably don't have very healthy social habits and routines. And these were adults that that were um, like, you know, professional adults who are teachers. And I didn't realize that broke the veil for me that adults or teachers are adults and adults are people. And I never realized that when I was a kid, like at all. And I realized that, oh, there's like some adults who like, maybe you didn't learn how, maybe you were aggressive, you know, and when you wanted something, you were really aggressive about it. And I realized that, oh, there's some people who like go into adulthood, never learning how to manage that and internalize that. And then you, you see how it plays out. And you see like most 80% of the people are, 20% of the people are accounting for 80% of the effectiveness in these in this kind of environment. And that was very probably unique to the environment, but what I've seen in like mental health is so my mom, she works with people who have mental disabilities mm. in the state of Washington. And she's she doesn't work just with adults that have mental disabilities. She works, her company specifically works with the adults who can't afford like private care. And so she works in that area. And I was working in a school that was a public school. So if you were kicked out of the standard school and then kicked out of alternative school, or you're on an independent education plan, you would get put to this school. And that's so I really, this was public education as well. And I realized that, oh, whoa, there's an odd trend that I saw. And the same thing my mom would see in her work is that most of the people who fulfill these roles, there's, all different kinds of ways to be a teacher there's all different what kinds of ways to be a caregiver for people who are adults who are mentally disabled but the people who are fulfilling these roles are like the like the people who have the lowest skills out of the whole the um group and i always thought it was interesting that i found that in my experience and then her experience and you almost find that as a common thing i think where like the people who are at most risk are getting serviced by the people who are struggling the most um those jobs are really hard by the way yeah and what was interesting to me is that the teachers that i worked with and the other staff a lot of them i'm trying to be careful because this is no pedestaling, but a lot of them didn't have a, a recreation um and really i didn't have a physical recreation i think that's really important when people are trying to assault you and hurt you is to have a good physical recreation, you know? Um, But the whole narrative and lifestyle was, you know, there was no meaning. Like you go to work because it's oftentimes it's a paycheck, but the way that it was talked about, there wasn't anything extra done to be able to improve the place. It was just keeping it up. And the lifestyle outside of the workplace, there was nobody there who had a thing they were looking forward to. And so I came in there and I was doing jujitsu and I realized like when I would have confrontation that it was a lot like grappling, not in the sense that I am, you know, playing with someone. It was mere the stress of grappling and all of the practice that I got in grappling and exposure to combat. It allowed me to be calm in these scenarios and come from a place of stability when I had someone who's giving me a black eye and the people that I worked with, though, they were never subjected to that level of, you know, stress, especially positive stress. So when they were put in those scenarios, they were in a fight or flight state as well. And I thought to myself, why in the hell else would you want to like put yourself in a you know, why would you want to fight with people anyways? Who would have fun with that? And it's like, well, if you roughhouse, though, roughhousing is adjacent to this, like, violence. You know, it's like, it's play. And it's a way to playfully be aggressive. And it was weird because I would go through all this. And I worked with the most violent kid in the school and in the area. And it's fine. Like, you know, it sucked because it was hard for to connect with him. But those escalations, those were pretty manageable to deal with. Um, but I thought it was interesting cause they would give me, um, praise the staff. And then I was able to connect with the students. We'd go on recess and i would play with them. I always love playing with kids, you know, and I love playing, go to a trampoline park and you play. So I, um, I got, they were needing people. They specifically look for males cause most of the students are male, um, but I was training jujitsu. So I'm like, dude, my best friend, he needs a job. I've been trying to convince jujitsu people to do this for a long time. Because I'm like, these adults are like, nah, I don't feel comfortable being around these adults when these kids are escalating. I don't feel comfortable around the kids either. But like the adults, hi, they signed up for this job. This is a different situation. These kids got trauma, right? And if you got trauma, why are you? Like, and so I'm like, well, maybe I can like help improve this place instead of leaving. And going to go find somewhere else that's a little more pleasant to work with. Not because the kids and knew what I was signing up with, but the people that I'm working with. And so I eventually convinced one of my best friends to join, and he joins. And I realized that, oh my God, he connects with these kids so much. And like this aggressiveness doesn't like shut him off, he redirects it into not actual physical play, but he redirects he it into a playful energy. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Because everyone always associated this like, roughness as like a threat and immediate distance. And those kids would just shut down. And I watched how my friend would interact with them and it was just so interesting. And the relationship with like, you know, the threat of violence and aggression was a lot different. And so I brought in um, another friend and she did jujitsu and she started working. There. And it was interesting because they were very held in high regard in their ability to connect with the children. And to be able to um, to be calm so whenever these children need to be escorted because they're being violent and someone needed to you know to grab them um, not using jiu-jitsu techniques but using the approved techniques they would always be called I thought that was so interesting i look at how they conduct themselves they'd be playing with the children and when children were escalated they'd be calm I had a police officer come in and trying to hire one of the people and you know and I think about those things a lot like these people aren't it, these people are no different than my co my other coworkers. That's not that's not the message. They're the exact same thing. But what's different? They do jiu-jitsu. I'm like oh, that's weird. I don't know what you think of that, but so much of what you said I
1: could ramble on a million different tangents. There's um so, you know, integrating Oh, All of
0: one of the the lady who was doing it, she was uh, she was in a domestic violence relationship. And she even like left that relationship and had to go into hiding in a domestic violence place, got through the other end, maintains a relationship with that guy. No domestic violence, no aggression, nothing, none of that. And then went to go and work there and then be in those situations and got into jujitsu because she was like, hey, I think I could figure out how to like keep my try to keep myself a little more safe. And then she joined and did this work. And work with kiddos and some 300 pounds in this tall, but learning to do all of that to keep her safe. That was really cool. Sorry. Heather.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's inspiring to hear when people are able to to do that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, so first with, uh, you know, physicality, I, I always like the uh, there's a concept of, um, you know, tickling as a way that nature built into us a way to physically connect with each other and teach ourselves our vulnerable places. And through a number of mechanisms in society, we have lost the ability to have healthy, consensual, uh, respectful boundaries around Playful touch. And, you know, there's many, many uh, legitimate reasons for that because a lot of people are doing a lot of illegitimate, non consensual yeah. touch. So, that being said, you know, we've lost the ability to do it in a healthy way. And, you know, that's why uh, jujitsu is amazing. And, like you said, I think part of the reason why those people did so well in those scenarios you mentioned is like, I can put my frames up, I can take a breath, <sighs> wait for them to move and hip out and, you know, try again. So, I mean, I think that that mindset is absolutely critical to so many aspects in life. And, you know, mentioned how a lot of the the teachers uh, are, they're trying to meet expectations that are put on them that really may not be expectations that serve the interests of those children, you know, again, misaligned incentives and um, unforeseen consequences of uh, of not really well thought out intentions. And so, they're probably under-resourced. And like you mentioned again, for some reason, we in society have decided to elevate people who make bets to the highest levels of the financial system and hello, 2008. And then yet somehow we underfund teachers, it's insane to me that the average teacher salary is somewhere like, you know, below seventy thousand dollars a year instead of like a professional salary that I make as a physician, like upwards of a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like like I want a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar salary for the person who's teaching my six-year-old. So yeah. like just on so many levels, we as a society are not funding the people who are taking care of our most vulnerable. And then you add on the fact that we as a society have a, this weird relationship with just general physical activity and physical health. So, I mean, so many things you touch on, like the, the people they're they're, they're under resourced. They, they, um, are not well compensated. They are dealing with people who are coming from a challenging situation. They don't necessarily have a healthy relationship to their body, which is something that we could teach in school. You know, like there's no reason, like we can't actually teach, you know, what uh, the, the physical therapy concepts and actual mm-hmm. athletic training to uh seven ten twelve year olds and that's
0: what I was wondering too because even in that environment I'm like here's all of these resources and they're just not they just connect the dots and it was like well you find a lot of the kids are in foster care mm-hmm. so they're getting it's the same thing it's like bureaucracy in that in that realm all on the sides meaning that I can only do what is like not me but anyone at any of these places can only do what's legally approved and like if you do like any of the things that has to do with physicality, that is so far from being okay in those kinds of environments. And I don't even mean from the, 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 the tickling and the touch or anything like that. And not even just rough play, even just like lifting up weights, is, especially the kids with an IEP is so hard to get. Because when you find people who have like been violent and it's like, hey, we need to get heavy stuff so we can help them work on their aggression and like it's oftentimes it's just no 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 and it's like that's very risky and it's yeah a, a an overabundance of
1: misplaced conservatism because we don't understand it so if we don't understand it no mm-hmm. instead of maybe doing a little bit of research pumping some resources into figuring out what are some healthy ways to help these people and and, and so once again we're just not doing the research to find out healthy ways to to serve these people. And as a default, we have to be hyper conservative and overly safe, which
0: only ends up hurting things. I got one for you just as an offhand. But what happens if you had a system that was like that was like food stamps, but it was for youth. And instead of food, they were able to go and spend it on the transportation and the membership fee to be able to do any of the form of available recreation that, you know, as long as it's been like not approved as specific, but you name the recreation and they go to the Google business and oh, it's there. It's like an approved thing, as long as it's not like furryism and it's like, what's that? And you, you know what I mean? But like wide open in that way and allowing them the power to be able to like engage and stretch. And it's like, what do you want to do? And that like creates an incentive structure that is large. Cause I kept going back and it's like, you want to do math and reading, right? Well, like if you found one passion, it encapsulates all of that. I don't care what passion you choose. Like the hardest thing that, um, I'm not sure if you've ever done like a kickboxing class. The hardest thing for me was I didn't realize like counting and doing and striking at the same time, is really difficult or even lifting weights and doing like, if you're going to do something to 50 and you got to do something physically intense, I have a really hard time of being focused and counting all the way up to 50. I never knew that was hard. And you can, I can give that to those kids where literally counting to 10 is a challenge, but you, once it gets boring, you know, you could add that physical element and these children are often aggressive. And usually the response to the aggression is, is that you need to deescalate and stop them. And as opposed to like, well, why don't we redirect the aggression? And the thing in schools, at least this is the school system that I was in, uh, I never saw any ways to redirect aggression. We tried with like, here's a mat and hit the mat. But there's a thing that I found with rough play that I was really confused about because there's a lot of kids foster care um i'd have even some kids who were with older like they had older uh older boys in their house and it's a boy um and like way older like late teens They get beat up all the time And this kid would come there and he'd try to fight you every day he'd go, he'd go get off the bus run and hide and wait for people to come around and look for the look around the whole thing and come out and throw rocks and start beating you up and like that was like oh violent and evil and like like literally people would think that and i, I guess you know Every day, like, you can kind of get to that conclusion. But if you reframe it, like, I'll be honest with you. That's exactly what I like to do in jujitsu. jitsu But I like to have this dynamic with someone where I want to try to get you. And I work my body up a lot to where my heart's pounding and I have all this adrenaline going and I'm with you. Like, I mean, dance, like, there might be some, like, a static dance that can get me there. Like, there's some things that mirror that. But all of the things that I've never found found an approved way to replicate that in that institution. And I still don't because that's you're right. All the things that you would have to cross to get there like are really inappropriate could be really inappropriate and very dicey in jujitsu. To me, it's taught me how to set physical boundaries and what they were Mm because when I was a kid for women and for people, really people in general, to be honest, is that My respecting you physically was keeping a distance, unless I know without a reasonable doubt that you want me to come in. And it's like I really got to know that. I assume that you want me far away from you, and that feeds in anxiety and all these other things, right? And like, it almost make it harder in my relationship with women because it'd be a lot of anxiety coming up to oh, I got to touch her, and then when I like like oh, she let me do that, right? And that's that didn't seem that healthy either. But when I do jujitsu and I found out that like in jujitsu, something is really weird to me that, um, there's two things. If you're a big man and you're going with a small woman, this is just one example, but it happens to everyone at every angle and every weight you're going with a woman and she's going to do moves and you're balancing two things, which one is, is not as trying to eliminate somewhat of the strength so that they can be technical and also not patronizing and letting people do things, and it's that's such a hard thing to, to teach somebody, and it's a hard thing to impose on yourself and not allow yourself to screw that up a few times. But in jujitsu, it's okay. It's okay to a little. It's okay as long as you and the environment responds appropriately. If you're like, "Oh fuck you," you're just you know you're not good enough. That's that's where it's wrong. I didn't even know that. I thought that doing it was the bad part. I didn't realize that it was how I communicated if you were to tell me, hey, that was like you're using a lot of your weight on there and I wasn't able to work my moves. I didn't know that we're allowed to get there. And jiu took me to do that, you know? Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's
1: great. It's a protocol and a, um, an environment and a vocabulary for consensual touch, you know, most white belts are going to go in and they're the the instructor or some well-seasoned, uh, white or blue belts going to take most of the, uh, the first timers so that they, you know, can feel out the the spazziness. And then as they determine it safe, they'll get to roll with more and more people. And then you learn the vocabulary and you are gradually exposed to different people and body types so that you learn how to Adapt to different body types. Because again, the point uh, with any one individual role is not to get as many submissions as possible. Because as a, you know, six foot two, 200 pound guy, I could get a lot of submissions by just squashing people. But the point is to learn jujitsu in a vocabulary. And uh, as you get better at it and you learn other people's bodies, then you get to the point where it's the, the, improvised dance in a way where you each have an agreement about what's okay and what's not okay. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, you have to say it upfront and be like, Hey, I'm working on this. Uh, Hey, you're, I see you're this rank. And other times it's already taken for granted because you have established that relationship over previous roles. So, yeah, one hundred percent. And it just it takes time, it takes patience, and you know you don't just jump into it either. No,
0: and that's something that you realize that you could spend like a whole lifetime trying to learn this thing and be self motivated to learn it. Mm-hmm. I have you when I was doing the the thing with the kiddos yeah. and the the actual program that they put you through the right response training okay. to when you're going like hands on with children, um, we would do that and we would retrain them. Yeah. You know, Um, we would do the training Mm -hmm. and the first time that I did the training, it's, and it's reasonable within a a workplace, I would say that they, especially this kind of workplace where I'm getting, you know, not minimum wage, but I'm not getting paid a bunch of money. Um, they, they hire me on and they train me for like, let's just say like less than, less than two weeks. Imagine if you were to go and if I were to give you jujitsu training in two weeks and I would have been like, yeah, any kind of street fight out there, you'll be able to keep yourself safe and your opponent safe." And it's like, like, so I get I mean, like, better than no jujitsu, but certainly not two weeks. Of precisely. And so I do that with the two weeks and the training is like, I don't know if you're not for engineering, not for being a doctor. Maybe I'm assuming a lot, though, but I don't think I am. The training there is very much like we, we're going to run through this. This is boring, anyways, and it really is. Like I don't like I wouldn't just show up there to go do the training. I don't wouldn't go out of my way to do that. Like if I didn't have the job, right? Um, this isn't something that's not just entertaining. I'm just not I'm not even disciplined to get into it. In the way that it's built and presented, it's not even that way. Even the actors, they even make fun of where it's like there's an actor and they play a situational. They're like, oh yeah, he just got hired in this, and it's like really bad. Um, so I'll do that for two weeks and then I go into the hands on with the children. And then it's like, when you go to do the recertification, because this is from top down, because this is, you need to get recertified if you're going to go hands on with somebody so that you can improve your ability and you can make sure that you understand and be safe. So you don't fall out of uh training two weeks a year. Is that is that, is that, is yeah, that, is that under- what it takes in to do anything in jujitsu? jitsu Is that what it, have you have you ever went rock climbing and have you ever done anything for 2 weeks out of a year and called yourself just sufficient enough to be able to even participate in rock climbing in like a casual basis?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's like those corporate trainings you saw in the office where you just have to click through a video and answer some and, questions and you know somebody some bureaucrat somewhere decided to check their boxes and again it comes back to under-resourcing the the most valuable people um and
0: so but i don't know if i would want to take a job that i have to show up to a not a jiu-jitsu class but a right response class every day i'm not saying that i'm not saying it's not just the under-resourced do you, do you see the way that it's like okay. for some reason if you didn't you don't pay me i'll go to jiu i'll go to i'll pay to go to jujitsu. But the things that I get out of jujitsu are immensely helpful mm-hmm. in the conflict with the children. Yeah. And the right response is pretty helpful too. Yeah. Or really helpful. But you would, you have to pay me to go through the right. In fact, not even you have to pay me. It's you have to pay me a lot and make it really easy for me. And that's how it is for most people, because most of the time I'm going to give you a thing. Yeah. For not, it didn't happen for the right response, but it happened for my forklift training. They gave me all the answers. They're just like, here you go. And the most of the time people don't value any training period for for I've never seen anybody value a training period for work outside of like these special interests. Like if you're gonna be a climbing guide or if you're gonna do jujitsu and you wanna be a jiu-jitsu teacher or competitor. Is it like that for medical school? Are people like learning and wanting to to practice. Well, I mean, uh, you're you're paying, you know seventy thousand
1: dollars a year to learn something. Yeah, exactly. So uh, um
0: I know it's not guess recreation
1: I, though. Well right. So uh, you know, and what's the the fine line between, you know, what you do to not starve every day yeah. and some people are lucky enough to combine that with something that they would do even if they didn't get paid to of do course. it. So some there's there's a spectrum in between of how much you love something and how much you're you know you would do it to not get paid. Uh, and how much you you have to put up with it, because it's the one thing that you can do in the moment to to not starve, but
0: if you're if you're doing a job, though, yeah. where the skills adjacent are a recreation, I feel like you can game the system to incentivize people who recreate oh. to do the that's what I'm saying. It's yeah not, well it, so that not... comes back to like educational
1: theory in general, like how do we make the 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 information? that we think is important, salient, so that it is so much fun that you can't help but want to learn it. And, um, you know, that's what we should do for most everything. You know, a lot of people say that we are watering down education by making it edutainment. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to some degree, there is that, but that's not to say that just because it's fun, it also isn't learning. And and, and the, there's just a lot of momentum into this is the way we've always done things. This is how you learn to do your reading, writing, arithmetic, rather than, uh, uh, you know, approaching each person where they are, Finding out where they want to go and what they want to learn and presenting them the information in such a way that it's so enticing that they just can't help but learn it yeah. because That's it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, does that kind of... that does.
0: And as a role model too, what I found is in these scenarios, coming at it from that perspective, you have people where when you notice certain kind of traits or interests in students, you're actually able to connect the dots because it's like, hey, I notice you are really into like, you like to run and I can present the running ideas of play because I run to school every day mm-hmm. or I go and run on the weekends and like I'm a real runner person. Like here yeah. I am.
1: That's why it's so important to have a mentor who the the student can identify with on some level. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, age, gender, skin color. Sometimes it's by activity. And so, yeah, having something that the the student knows that the mentor it has, the, has a similar identification and or interest and that therefore they can work as a partner and present the information to the learner so that they'll want to do it. Um, and then instead, a lot of the times what happens is we have a um prescribed way that we have to do something the children act out and have a misbehavior Mm -hmm. and one thing that i'm really trying to train into myself is every misbehavior is really an unmet need Mm -hmm. And, and so instead of calling these kids misbehaving kids finding out like why as i'm the adult here why cannot, what is it, what is it that I'm missing that I can't see their unmet need? Mm-hmm. And, and so much of the time we're focusing on why they don't do what we want them to do and not why we don't see their unmet need. There's this really cool guy called John Verveke. He's got an amazing YouTube series, but he had a quote that says, uh, um, the, the good parents or the good caretakers are the parents who said not. How is this child relevant to me, but how am I relevant to this child? How am I relevant to helping this child develop a sense of regulation and the ability to pursue long term pursue long-term goals and happiness, mm-hmm. right? So changing that perspective for the child is misbehaving to this child has a has an unmet need. And how am I relevant to that unmet need?
0: Mm, that makes sense. And that almost like flips it flips it on its head, and it makes you focus on what you can do, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to all the things that you can't or that they're not doing. Exactly that makes sense. Exactly. Would it be fair to look at like uh, like mental growth uh, the same way that you would like uh, like physical um, physical growth? To where I think it's almost within anything, right? If you're gonna lift things. Or if you're gonna like, if you can't balance, and you're like, oh, I don't want to get on roller skates because I can't balance. And it's like, well, now you got to start on the roller skates, hold on to a support, so you 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 know you add a little balance, and then over time you get more confident, and then you could take away the support, and now you could be on something that you could not have been. Like, is do you find that that's like a general principle in life? One hundred percent. So
1: I've heard you mention in a few of your other conversations that you have a mindfulness or kind of a meditation breathing practice. Yeah. So. I, I do too for the last few years and I, I have been a fidgety skeptic for the longest time. And it was once somebody presented it to me, and this is what I try to do to present it to my patients now is, this is like pushups for your focus. Mm. We uh, in the, the narrow sense, but as an example that I think um, illustrates the principle, when we're trying to uh, harness or sharpen our attention, people have this mistaken belief that you should just be able to make your mind go blank. And as anybody who's ever attempted to sit for more than five seconds, (laughs) that you find that shatters pretty quickly. But instead of, you know, getting down on yourself and saying, God damn it, I can't make my mind go blank. What is this Zen thing? Meditation is stupid. And giving yourself negative one point. If instead, every time you notice that next thought coming in or you notice that your butt's uncomfortable or you realize that your posture's off or you're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow you go oh thank you for telling me that something may not be perfect but for just 5 minutes i'm going to breathe and then 2 seconds later that next thought pops up and you're like thank you that's a distraction but right now i'm just breathing and give yourself a point for every time you notice you're distracted you know you totally yeah. flip the the script and Then you get you're 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 noticing just how uncontrol of our own mind we are, and that we can do pushups for your focus, and Mm -hmm. just like there's exposure therapy for people with phobias and and, and histories of trauma. So yeah, and then then the next question inevitably is okay, so where where do you start? You know, if you want to deadlift five hundred pounds, you don't up 500 pounds you start off with the bar or just learning how to hinge at the hips and then also the point is is why do we have to deadlift isn't the point to just be strong and have balance what if somebody prefers to do yoga or or, or pulates and so just being open-minded about the ways in which we approach not just physical exercise but mental uh and, and spiritual and emotional growth But, yeah, it's exposure and repetition and um, added stress in an appropriate way. Uh, Yeah, does
0: that? Yeah, that does. Think of this um, with with physical fitness, though. If you, so, or when New Year's passes, people generally want to be healthy. And the majority of people will sign up for a gym membership. And then come February, the majority of people will um, not be on the gym membership. And you often see this narrative of like, you know, I want to be healthy and I want to get, I want to exercise and it's, you won't see a majority following through the consistency rate. And I've been in that same predicament myself. Sounds like you're human. Yeah, exactly. Well, I found it interesting though, when I got into martial arts um, and in rock climbing that, okay, more martial arts than kickboxing. So I wanted to do, I really like to do kickboxing and I love doing jujitsu um kickboxing and I get gassed out quite a bit. So I was like, I was really interested in, well, how do I get faster or how do I go for a lot longer? And then I started to um research like different kinds of running cuz I knew that I needed to improve my 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 cardio, my cardiovascular system and um for its intensity and or power and endurance, right? Then I um when I was a kid and I did football, I hated running. Um, I started getting into Cameron Haynes and, like, learning all about him through Joe Rogan and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, trail running is cool. And I did trail running, and I liked it a lot more. I kept being consistent more with it, um, but I was more excited about the cardiovascular gains for my kickboxing. In fact, I quit smoking um, without much effort because I thought, well, if I didn't smoke, I'd be able to, like, you know, get more. Get it. And, like, I was really motivated that way. And because I did that, it went from being this physical chore to it being a way to access greater pleasure and greater joy and all this other community support too. Cause you know, you're, you're doing it and then it becomes part of it. Cause when you start taking, going past the people you started with, whatever it all feeds into itself. Um, and then I was gonna say, but it's interesting that my whole goal was, was fitness and and health or no. I don't think you should work out to work out, but I did notice that if you have a sedentary life in the future, you could have a lot of chronic pain and that could seem to impede in the quality of life. So right now, it might not I might not have to work out um, and I don't have to work out really hard, but for the quality of my life, it'd be a good idea. To do that just for the sake of it, I'm not very successful and I'm not very happy. But when I found out, things that i obsessed over and that i love ways of play and that for some reason exercise my relationship with exercise changed and then i became obsessed and i would do i do yoga i go running i go rock climbing and like there now there just doesn't seem to be enough time or enough like i need to sleep because i got to recover and those are the same will so i don't and i find that's yeah i don't know what you think of that
1: a lot of different things. Um, so the same will. Um, one thing that uh, I've learned in the last few years is that same will. Uh, that same any anybody you know. This the self, the I, is a story. The brain tells itself to try to make a continuous story of the 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 body and the experiences that the brain lives in. And but there's there's a uh, there's nothing inside of you that is constantly the same. So if you tried to point to where you are, there, there's nothing that you could point to. So y- the you the, the you is the 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 neurologic story that your brain is telling itself that it's updated with each new synapse that fires. So just to um take a step back and go okay so then i can be flexible with what i am because i'm getting updated like literally every synapse and so i don't have to be rigidly held that being said one of those survival stories i mentioned earlier is a voice that says you're the same person you used to be but that's just another story so holding in the back of the head a lot so but but you know we can honor that and go okay that's just part of me is is this voice and intellectually i can say that you know i'm i'm updating myself all the time and then so one of the stories i can tell myself is my best friend is me 5 years from now and sometimes it's really hard to tell that story when the 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 nicotine dopamine story is screaming in your ear mm-hmm. and for some people it's i don't mean to say it was easy but it's as um intuitive as yeah, was- recognizing that man like if I want to be able to um, go five rounds, five, five minute rounds, I'm going to need to up my cardio, which means I'm going to need to run. And if I'm going to do that, I really got to quit the cigarettes and and the salience clicks in and you're making friends with yourself mm-hmm. from five years from now. Um, and, and then to, to backtrack to the the John Verveki story, like who was the adult um, or and and maybe it was plural adults or people in your life over time or the things that you've accumulated that told you or showed you how to um plan for that long-term goal so then Mm -hmm. then that long-term goal pops up in your brain as one of those thoughts that is just as loud as the the nicotine And, and you know there's a lot of things that go into that some people are neurologically wired to be like um long-term planners and some people aren't and just you add up a bunch of little things that can tip the scale one way or the other uh so if we can you know set people up more often in an environment where they if they were going to be on the margins where their long-term planning might get overridden by nicotine that uh, they would have a few more skills to override the nicotine instead Mm. so um I hope there was a coherent thought that, that, that in there. That
0: makes sense. Yeah. There. How? So, when you, if you were to have an adult, right, and you were to look at the adult's life choices, and they were to come to you with some kind of problem, right, uh, maybe physical problem, maybe diabetes, right, mm-hmm. and they're, um, and you know, it's the way that they're eating their diet. Uh, they don't want to change, and, and so they want something to change, they want the
1: pain to change, but it's really hard for them to do some of the lifestyle changes that are gonna make the pain go away. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can tell you what I do in an ideal world and I can tell you what I'm forced to do by the constraints of the way we live in today. And you had, um, the the Elm Clinic uh, couple that you had talked to. Oh yeah. They, they were an interesting group and I love what they're trying to do. Um, and so how do we make it scale where we can give people a life coach? And mm-hmm. so, there's habits, like I said, that take 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years to develop, and they just don't melt overnight. So, if we can pony up as a society, and for somebody with chronic pain due to diabetic neuropathy or arthritis due to overweight, if we can give somebody a life coach and not just like a 30 minute phone call every other week, but like, mm-hmm. you know, spend a couple hours with them every day for a period of, you know, several weeks you know, then you can make change. Mm. Um, you know, what what the specific prescription is, I'm sure is very individual dependent. Yeah. And, you know, that's going to cost a lot of money. So I'm not <laughs> saying, you know, let's jump on that chip. I mean, I would love to. Like, mm-hmm. robots are going to be doing everything and we're going to actually, th- this is, a, if you'll me a quick side tangent. Yes. Like, So let's be honest here. The robots are coming. Like, So we're going to have a lot of physical material resources and the way that we distribute money right now is not well suited to the fact that robots are going to be doing all of the hard manual labor, which is right now how we usually assign somebody's value in life is how much physical labor are you turning from soil into somebody else's food or material um, circumstances. That's going to be done by the robots. Let's be honest, and we can be behind the curve and let Jeff Bezos own all the robots and make all the money and mm-hmm. let all of us live in the slums, or we can do something different. You know, I don't. we don't have to get into the weeds of universal basic income, but this also... Touches on what you mentioned before about the kids and having like the 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 bookstore bucks yeah. or the the healthy food store bucks or the going to the gym bucks. We can give people uh, something like a universal basic income, like food stamps for specific activities that we as a society think we should promote. So yeah, just as cool, a yeah. broad concept, right? So if we are if robots are going to do all the nasty work, well, what are we going to do? We're going to take care of each other, man. We're going to go out and we're going to be each other's life coaches for people who were dealt a bad um, hand in the deck of life or in the, in the card game of life. Mm-hmm. So, um, so under an ideal circumstances, we'd have enough life coaches to help the adult who's got to unlearn a lot of resources in the real world. You know, I, I get somebody to come in every week, every two weeks, and I spend 20, 30 minutes with them. And I kind of chip away at some of the ways that they've been going about life or ways that they think about themselves, Um, and in my better moments, I don't try to guilt trip them in the better moments. I don't let my own ego and the fact that, you know, they're hurting people get in the way of, they're not listening to me because I'm smart and they're stupid. Um, so I definitely have that voice. I'm a human too. Uh, And and in my better moments, I get over myself and I'm like, yeah, it sounds like you're going through a hard time and this isn't going to be easy and I don't have a great solution for you, but you got to spend time with them weeks after weeks after weeks and you chip away at things. 15 and 20 minutes at a time. Um,
0: though, in those hard moments, I, I was thinking about someone recently who was talking about people. I don't know, they were like, not to get into like the political aspect of it, I don't care too much, but there's, um, that the lady who's like, I don't want a vaccine. And then she got coronavirus and a bunch of comorbidities. Comor- she's like, dying. She's like, Oh, I want a vaccine. And the guy's like, Oh, and these idiots. And I see people do that all the time. And like, the, Climbing community you might be familiar with it. I think at least for me, not I've seen this a lot where it's like these idiots, this like this other that's like dumb and like, you know, makes all these poor choices and they're really harsh. And like, there's also this like, um, uh, God, such foolish, like assholes. They don't even bring crampons up there or any of these kinds of things. People who even risk their own life. And like, there's like some kind of like ability to like shit on them because they risk their own life. And usually in these climbing incidents they're even brought like how dare they put sar into that scenario and what i get to is is like you've every right to make the decisions that if you make decisions that you die and you regret that that's a predicament that someone goes through in their life i'm not going to be a dick and compound it um but also like that is part of life like you can might make indecisions that'll get you killed and you might regret it in the very last moments of your life that's part of it like even me, you know, I might wind up in that same scenario in some bias that I didn't account for just because in this realm, you know, I'm so I'm not going to be like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. Like, it's like, oh, wow, they're struggling and I'm not going to go on the over sympathetic where it's like, oh, my gosh, it's like, oh, no, life's like, you know, I could be caring, not overly sympathetic, not underly sympathetic. But I see people happening this coronavirus and then the political thing happens I see that all the time where it's like people are like eating their own tail in their own it, way it's, it's
1: it's heartbreaking it's 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 really heartbreaking because there's people that are suffering and they are lashing out at legitimately bad circumstances and a lot of the pr around it is unfortunate and it's driving away people on the margins mm-hmm. into the the camps that are only going to um, calcify even further the things we're trying to change. I don't have the right answer, yeah. um, and I certainly don't want to tell people how to to talk about things. It's mm-hmm. but I, I feel you. It's challenging because hurting people hurt people on, on on both sides of the aisle. The- but what it comes down to is we weren't given great survival skills as a kid and. Mm-hmm you know, to the same degree that that person on the mountain got hurt and it doesn't make sense to shit on them. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is how do we learn from this and take the lessons forward so that fewer people don't bring their crampons next time? How do we intervene in this cycle of pain so that fewer children end up in a spot where they're either going to be victims or they're going to be victimizers mm-hmm, yeah. and that's i think that's where we want to shift the focus not so much on blaming any individual for what they did or what they uh, failed to do but acknowledging that they're a human and they're going to have there's going to be costs that they might have to pay as an individual but really focusing on how we as a society can learn from that and make sure that there's like 20% fewer of those people in the next generation. Yeah.
0: And that cuz that's where I get to <laughs> with adults specifically. You can't you can almost get to a point with someone where it's like you would have to force their hand. And I don't want to ever force anyone's hand. But with children, I can always get to the point to where there's the that learning and that onboarding phase where they're like they're consuming all they their sponges. And people who are suffering or make or in indecision are perfect role models and mentors in the opposite way and without them it would all be imagined so that i think there's an opportunity there to learn to learn from those because i've i deal with like um like my you know my son his mom um she's a she goes to she's a former alcoholic and she struggled with addiction throughout like his whole life up until now um, and then could be in and out of it in the future, which I would hope not. It's like a few months in, but, um, and my dad, so I grew up kind of a similar thing where he'd come in and out all the time, but with like meth and stuff. Um, and you hope and hope that those people change. But the best thing that I could do is, is, is like me as, or as a parent is to be able to inform the youth and then hope that that adult in their own time, cause they have that freedom of choice. I believe in that. And I have a real hard time with that sometimes because there's some ways that that implicates my community that like if you're freedom of choice, if you're um, should you use drugs next to my school? Okay, if you can't use drugs next to my school, where should you use drugs in my community? And like if you use drugs there, I'm like, are you allowed to sleep there? And if you're not allowed to sleep there, then where are you allowed to sleep in my community? Does it have to be in a house or not? And if it has to be in a house, do I have to put you in a house? And like so all, of the, all those things. And with adults, it's very confusing. With children, it's like, no, someone has to be responsible for the care, and they have to care for the child, and you have to have an education. So I could work with that, and I could allow these adults the room to be able to come to their own conclusions and protect me and everyone else in the community and even them. One hundred percent,
1: because, you know, in the United States, some people might say to a fault, like we value individual freedom. But I mean, I I think there's a tremendous value there and and it certainly has its cost. And I just like you said, and, and I think that's a great way to frame it. If we take care of those kids and really resource those kids, then it unloads that emotional burden of I can't live an adult's life for them. And I really don't want to like you know, forcefully shove them into one place or another. Mm -hmm. I mean, short of like true safety concerns. yeah. And, but if we can take care of our kids, then I think it, it really helps ease that moral qualm. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. I think so too.
1: Um, I mean, and that's, if you'll permit me a quick insertion, I mean, that's why, you know, as a family doctor, well, so, you know, a, I've, I've had a lot of luck dealt to me and it's, um, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for my, my parents and where I, where I've come from. And, you know, as much as bad people who have gotten bad luck, didn't earn where they're at. I certainly haven't earned where I'm at other than being able to recognize opportunities and take advantage of them and try to not to hurt people in, in the process. And so now I'm at the spot where, um, how, how can we feed forward um some of this luck and to process the vicarious traumas i see from some of the patients that i've seen in my clinic like you know why don't we uh, again as a society pony up and make something like our local public school a 24/7 triage and then robustly fund and resource mental health and social Mm working, keep those at the school. So we don't have to pull kids out of school to go to their therapist. The therapist is already there. And then we can't kick kids out of school for being behaviorally disturbed because their therapist is already there and our teachers are already helping to co-regulate kids. So
0: yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be really interesting to be able to, on top of that... Take your know, all your recreational lists in your own community and overlay that as a you know framework within the school systems for not just a professional life but also you know for um, I guess hobbies would be the word or recreation whatever it is because like I like you said one thing that you said is interesting is like we have a specialization you have like your doctor right but like that doesn't cover all your bases and, and in terms of personal development it doesn't. And that's kind of what I was talking about jujitsu earlier. And even like, you know, if you had like recreation box or anything like that, there's like a amount of character development that comes from recreation. And you said even earlier when it's like, you know, maybe it's not lifting, but it's yoga. That's exactly my point is where you're able to have a thing where, you know, I like what I like, Will likes what I like, and I'm going to go do that. And if you guys are interested in taking and seeking mentorship and learning this thing, then you can spend that and I can make more of a living off of that and bring what I'm interested in, what I'm passionate. And when you come into my doors after you're done with your general education or whatever, I am the most passionate or the top 10 passionate people in this whole community on this
1: somehow it seems like we might be able to merge like a social good with somewhat of a market system. Yeah. No, I feel you 100%. Like that's such an interesting way to, to do that because you've got specialists who already know how to do a thing and you can't bring all of that into the schools. Mm-hmm. But if you can like at least have the schools kind of be, have these things around the satellite of the school and have a smorgasbord or a pallet of, options for the kid to choose from rather than today in gym we're doing basketball yeah. or dodgeball if we really want to make certain kids <laughs> suffer right <Yeah. laughs>
0: that's where i had with like so a thing i brought into, went into is like well there's ymca what i found out from ymca is i don't know what it's like here in portland but where where i was at it's like uh they have a they in a bigger town they have like trailblazers and stuff but where i'm at it's just the pool and the gym mm-hmm. And the, uh, my son's not allowed to do weightlifting because he's too young. But then I redo all the research and I find that yeah, uh, that it, And like we said before, Exactly. And, like, and you even find that the, by the way, if you got kids that are prepubescent, any developments that you make um, prepubescently, you, you, you well, you're a doctor, so. Mm. but um, you, you get those, those benefits, and then they exponentially grow from there. And it's like, it's almost like kicked in testosterone in some way to where you keep those benefits you've accrued throughout your whole life.
1: Once again, another tie to physical, intellectual, uh, mental life. Like you look at a five-year-old, how long does it take them to pick up a second language instantaneously? How long does it take me as a 30-year-old fucking the rest of my goddamn life? Exactly. So like the same, just to to tie into that point that you teach kids how to do something young and their nervous system Mm -hmm. is just wired
0: for it. Even climbing is like a really good example because now you have children who are out able to, you know, meet adults almost in their climbing ability. No, actually, in fact, they can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's like you see like a a 10 year old, I think I forget what her name was, but she was like climbing 513, 514. And it's like, whoa, and whatever she gets out of that, you know, psychologically and emotionally, I, I can only imagine, you know, and The thing is with the, it almost seems though, like having something that's meaningful to you and voluntary, though, that seems like it's intrinsically important. I don't mean for everything, but at least something. And it's like, that's something that I wrestle with. Like, what's the meaning of life? And I really think that's like the modern way to frame that or like on the kids level is like, you know, what do you, what do you want to (laughs) do? Like, and, and I don't, when i was a kid i didn't have the opportunity i grew up in a in a place where i didn't have all of like those things i basically did bmx and i got really into bmx my dad is on bike team we would explore the whole west coast racing get all these like you know uh, trophies and stuff and then i didn't have any of that and i didn't have a peer group to identify with and i start getting really into drugs and like you're just doing a lot of crazy stuff and having uh, kids when i was really young um and i seen what that was like when i didn't have that peer group, and I didn't have a sense of meaning and purpose in my life or a place that I belong outside of my family structure. Everything fell out from under me. And then I could only imagine that with like what I was telling you about running earlier. I'd found out, by the way, that trail running doesn't just do it for me. If I can go off trail or over like some technical, like a steep thing, that's when I'm really excited at least once in the, the running so I have something to look forward to. But if it's like flat on the road or flat trail, I quit sometimes and I'd get in my head about it. But I realized that instead of just saying, no matter what, you will succeed, you'll make it and you'll do your goal. I was like, how can I set myself up for success and to thrive? And so I found that like on this, there's an adventure race in Alaska where you have to go from point A to point B and you can't use any vehicles, but you can use um foot skis, packraft, uh maybe bike and and there's like no roads and there's like rivers you got to cross and like man figure it out. Oh, That's just like so much fun. And and like I was trying to do like the run around St. Helens and that was a course that's all planned out for you. It's Candace, um she does like the Bigfoot 200s and stuff. So she puts this one on and I I had so much trouble doing that. And I thought that I'm just terrible. I put all the training in, blah blah blah. And I realized that like
1: Hospital. Oh, you're good.
0: Dr. Baby. Yeah, I just learned that if I, I could set myself up to success and thrive, and, and that um that it is such a unique scenario in which you would want to push yourself athletically or maybe do something uncomfortable. I guess that's what I would say, just uncomfortable. And it took me not, it's not just running that did it for me. It was so like, I, sometimes I could run and do it, but that would be to look forward to that weekend when I finally get to do the, the way I wanted to run. And so like, even if I could tell, it wasn't from telling myself, you need to run, you need to run more. You know, this is why I, I couldn't just trick myself and convince myself. I found a way to set it up so that I craved it. And if you took it away from me because I had appointments or anything like that that would be difficult for me to deal with. And like, and so that's where I find, like, I love what you talked about where giving the person the freedom to be able to figure out in which way do they want to, um, what kind of recreation or what kind of way do they want to push themselves physically, um, you know, emotionally and mentally too. And there's so many things in our society. I don't think you have to confine that too much. I think we can find it more than we need to.
1: Exactly, and that's the beauty of being in 2021 with uh, you know YouTube and um, so my dad is uh, like the kind of guy that's been like reading books and learning at a college level like since he got out of medical school like oh, wow. just reads and fucking reads mm-hmm. and, and reads and reads and it, like it's scary what to think. What he would have been like if he had YouTube and Wikipedia at his fingertips at age 13, right? So this is why I'm super stoked and very optimistic for the, the kids coming up today is if we can give them the tools on how to curate their information experience Like, what is it that they're not going to know? And um, what activity are they not going to have access to? Just speaking for myself, you know, like if I had, instead of having my, uh, the high school football coach from middle of nowhere, Iowa, teach me how to weightlift when I was 16, instead had... Some of the best calisthenics teachers tell me how to actually use my body in rehab. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be forty and in fucking pain today. I well maybe I would because I'm st- I still like to overdo it. But you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I
0: know exactly. Um,
1: and, and 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 it's great. I love to hear how you like know your like know how to push your limits in a healthy way, mm-hmm. and, um, and and in a way that is engaging and it it it's exciting to think that we can give that to more people. Yeah. Right.
0: And it's trying to figure out different ways to make that accessible because what I find is is like that narrative is really important. Um, and in the sense that when if we were to go out running and I have all these you know certain expectations, I might never be able to. Access a different version of running that would actually ignite me, you know, and light me on fire. Cause when I was a kid, like even further stretches, like I would, it's a beautiful, you know, spring, almost summer like day. I can't even see clouds out here. I love I climate been, change. I would have been, I know, right? <laughs> I would have been inside of my house um, getting really high and playing video games all day um, when I was a kid. And it was like, and that's exactly what I wanted to be doing. Um, but what I, in a in a very actually i'm gonna try to be as honest as i can and i say that sounds a little bit contrived i mean that meaning that i don't think i'm coming from a place where i'm trying to prove anything i think i'm being honest is that the highs and the highs that i've experienced um probably because of the the lows too are more intense and nourishing than when i did play the video games and i don't know if that's a developmental thing or if it's because of how intense these experiences are because like fighting in an abstract video game um, is like one thing but doing like jujitsu and learning to build up all that and getting to the intensity of you know years of practice it's like a whole nother thing it's it's like as as deep in it as you can get in video games now only now pale in comparison to that to when my son's like why don't you want to play this oh that's it is as an adult it's not even that video games suck it's that i've found things that have like connected me with me in a deeper and fulfilling way and so now when i engage with video games it's like it feels like on a lower like it doesn't connect with me like that and it's not because um video games are are less important to me it's that i realize that there is a greater importance out there.
1: Yeah. Great insight. I I love where you're going with there. And the, what, and an interesting thing about, you know, video games, especially is you know, what makes them so engaging, especially in today's world where there so many people are disempowered. Like we don't have a lot of avenues for people to explore themselves and develop meaning. Uh, You know, the, the, college loan crisis is just like a real easy example of how go to college, get a job. Well, we all see how much bullshit that is now. And what do video games provide? They provide um, rules. They provide a chance for advancement and they provide a sense of meaning. And when you then are able to step out of that and find meaning and advancement in things that exist and you know, if this is indeed the real world, uh, Mm -hmm. that, that simulated world becomes a a little less salient again. Um, and so, uh,
0: and if you were ever like, if anyone's listening and they think about their kid and they're like, Oh, I'm concerned. Kid plays Minecraft. One thing that I had, like a lot of Minecraft, That's all they do. And it's like, Oh, someone put it in a funny thing with like caps like, oh, you want a cat? It'd be weird to tell my kid, I see you're making some really cool structures over there. Listen, I don't want you to be doing that anymore. I want you to go. And it's like, oh, yeah, they are like if you take away like the video game label of it, you see what they're doing on a very general terms in this, like creating. And if they're playing online with people, this community driven socializing all of these things. But what I found in, in, in Minecraft, I like to take my son backpacking. Okay, and backpacking. I find that especially if you get into foraging for like mushrooms, and then you get into wildlife. Maybe if you maybe do a little hunting, but we'll just stick with foraging. Um, that's like you know where's Waldo. It's like the whole thing. It makes it interesting because you walk along and you're looking for things to try to put together like evidence to find you know maybe some mushrooms, and you got to identify it so it's you know you're safe and you know it's morels, and then you get the morels and it tastes amazing, and you got to hike and do all these things. For a, for a kid, I try to introduce a kid to that, and they like that. But the it's a it's usually overwhelming because there's a lot going on, and I can make it. Oh, let's just go foraging. Oh, let's just go backpacking, right? And sometimes that's even a lot going on because maybe it's too boring, right? Maybe that's overwhelming too much space, and so and it's also to go backpacking. Maybe most families can only do that a few times a year, but. Minecraft is adjacent to backpacking, in my opinion, because if my son and I were to go off and we're going to go and do our own resources and everything, we're going on a literal adventure. And like him and I are having to go get a resource. We're having to do a lot of the basic things you do in backpacking, looking for things, you know, putting a plan together, working together. I feel like if he was interested more Minecraft than Fortnite, than, you know, bang, bang, bang shooting, maybe I should take him backpacking. But if he's interested in more Fortnite or else more jujitsu, because you see we're like this in the abstract realm, there is immediate parallels to every kind of game because a game is just an abstract representation of whatever it is that we do in real life or or whatever recreation we can do in real life. And then I'd say recreation is an abstraction, is a pretend version of whatever real thing we might have once had to do in life. And so I reel it back to like, oh, what kind of games does my son like? And then I could look at the real world activities I can introduce him to. And when he gets overwhelmed with backpacking, I'm like, we'll just play a lot more Minecraft. That's okay. We'll wait.
1: Yeah, exactly that. That was beautifully put. I hadn't uh, made that connection either, but. I mean, definitely the, the layers of abstraction are uh, neat to keep in mind. And again, if, if they're doing something we don't like, what is their unmet need mm-hmm. and how I, we meet that need in a way that also feels good to us? Or should I check myself and make sure I'm just not getting upset at them because if I have some <laughs> uh, unexamined un, un, uh, baggage myself.
0: That's, and that's exactly what I think because I meet a lot of parents, oh, stupid YouTube, Ah, oh, dumb video games. And I'm just like, and I like think of that and then I look at my own self and I reflect and I remember because I was the kid who was playing video games when I was younger because I grew up in that. I'm 26, like, and I'm just like, you know, I'm like, you're this like one of the families. They're like, I'm their outside guy that they like go and talk about, and they're like talk to their kid like that, and I'm just like, like thinking in my head, you know, I was like your kid, but even more when I was younger, right? Isn't that interesting? And then I reflect, and I'm like, oh, I'll be easy on my son. Um, what I found, though, also was, you know, when I was doing the video game thing, I played a game called Final Fantasy, and you had to read a lot in Final Fantasy. I would do book reports at the time, and for some reason, like, during that time in my life, I didn't like to read the book, <laughs> and so I'd go do cliff notes. I'd find all the ways to cheat through it and stuff, um, and I didn't, uh, I loved Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy was actually the thing that taught me how to read really well. And even during the time when I was supposed to be focusing on the school, putting off the school, playing the game, but that reading that was required there gave me access to uh, my English was just kept, kept accelerating forward. And it really helped later on in my life. And I saw that those things were helping me, you know, build skills that were pertinent and relative to actual life. You know, of course, too much of anything could be destructive, but that's a different conversation. And. I think it's more important for the person to have a realization and then a conversation if they've taken something too far.
1: Yeah. Right. You know, you bring up another neat point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of this book called the diamond age by an author, Neil Stevenson. It's a sci-fi book. Oh, oh it's super cool. So the basic premise is they, they come up with the, uh, the, 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 subtext is a young lady's primer. Um, and it's imagine an iPad that could take an illiterate person, To reading through picture stories and then once you learn to read you can literally do anything so this this book teaches uh, a a young street urchin how to read how to program how to do math how to do martial arts because like the through through gamification Mm -hmm. uh, and like it's not technically inconceivable right Mm -hmm. And, and so how how can we you know Maybe if instead of dumping trillions of dollars into like different technologies that we can use to bomb brown people for oil, mm-hmm. what if we decided to turn the iPad into something that could turn illiterate people into wow. literate people in any fricking language, right?
0: Yeah, that would be wild. And then exponentially that would help everything else around that. So in- instead of
1: dropping bombs, we just drop iPads. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> you just have to grab the iPads.
1: <laughs> Parachute some iPads down, learn to read, right?
0: Yeah. When you have, um, so if you were to, if someone were to have, uh, a, a person or, or, a, or yeah, I guess person, adult or a kid, and they were going through like, you know, um, their own form of trauma or their life felt very disorganized and they're looking for some, some, something like some direction. Is there any kind of advice that you give to somebody who's like just looking for at least one, one step to take in the right direction? That's very personal. or at least how you'd recommend that other person be supporting to someone like that in their life.
1: You know, you're you are hurting right now and your hurt is legitimate. You feel the way you feel and you're not making it up and the bad things that happen to you are not your fault. And I may not have the answer right now, but I, I, I am here to sit with you and if you feel comfortable sharing your story and if you're comfortable perhaps allowing me to suggest somebody else to talk to who is much better at listening than I am.
0: Yeah, that, yeah to have someone to talk to. So that's what helps so much is to have somebody to to be able to just to listen right and we're so many people are
1: conditioned or were never given the vocabulary to share appropriately so my my wife is Italian and so like recognizing that stereotypes are just that but just for the sake of illustration she's a woman she's Italian and she knows how to talk she has an an intense, tight relationship with, you know, a dozen other women and they talk about parenting and life and, uh, you know, sex and all the things that, uh, make life difficult and things that they can do to help each other out. And think about that. I talk about, um, sci-fi and movies and exercise with my friends. <laughs> I don't talk nearly enough about my shortcomings as a dad and how I can learn from other dads how to be a better dad. And this isn't mom-dad thing, but just as an illustration, because that's I'm speaking to from my experience. And then, you know, extrapolate that. The other day, I had a patient who um, he ha- has really bad heart failure, And therefore he can't move very well. So he is, uh, I hesitate to use the word depressed, but just so somebody has something to think about, then he's overeating and now his knees hurt. And he then, because his knees hurt, he's moving less. And so there's a bunch of vicious cycles stacking up on top of each other. And I was like, Hey, listen, I know that what you're going through is hard. And sometimes we need to tell our story to somebody else to come up with some practical, life skills. I even tried to present this as like, maybe you should see a health coach. And he's like, just no. I'm like, what do you mean? Just no? No, I'm not going to talk about this with anybody else. And and so this was not one of my finer moments. I took that personally. Like he's not going to listen to me because he doesn't like me as a person. Uh, you know, in retrospect. And then two minutes later, when I apologized to him for being a little less sensitive about it, um, I tried to guilt trip him into seeing a therapist. It doesn't work, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I apologized right afterwards. And, and then, but just as an example of how many people were not given the tools to talk about themselves to themselves, let alone another person. And so, um, God, I don't know if I had a point there other than just recognizing that sometimes it's really hard just because we weren't given the tools to talk about it.
0: Yeah. And I feel like talking about it is, is probably one of the most important things. I I'll go into that with my, my former coach, um, how we had a falling out because they split up and then I I slept with his, um, ex-girlfriend. And we're working in the office together and like, he talked to me prior to that and was like, I don't think this is, I don't want you to do that kind of thing. Cause that's like, or I, uh, Hey, don't, don't do anything with her, you know, because we're friends and like, I'm, I don't, I think that would be not okay. I didn't ask cause I wasn't even thinking about that. My whole thing is, is like, I really like when I can have a relationship with the opposite sex. Um, especially somebody who is, might be very um, physically persuasive, right? Very attractive. Um, but to be able to have a friendship and to be able to build the relationship as a friend, because I feel like that is a skill to be able to have the discipline to put off any kind of like, um, uh, you're tr- if you're attracted to someone and in um, your friendship or your romantic interest in your platonic Relationship are two different things. And I feel like, um, like, I look at almost sometimes I wonder people who wear like shawls and stuff like that for like, uh, for like Muslim culture. If historically men, for some reason, were originally not to be able to or not be to be imposed to have self control, or even if self control was a philosophical thing that was understood. And so then it were to be imposed onto another person. And then looking at now, how high level of self-control, like what you were, what we even talk about trying to teach youth, how, how much of a high level we've developed with that. Right. And I believe that it's good to practice things like that to improve because you can improve on many things. And so I, that was what that was. And I was very confident in that, in the sense that I had no ulterior motives, and, uh, I was celibate for five years too. Um, so I, that goes forward and she becomes, she's, I'm supposed to teach her how to do sales. She moves into my office and we're in an office that's the size of this and an enclosed space. And it's just her and I, um, and the, there were, she would do some things that were, she, it sounds weird. Cause if I say it, it doesn't it sounds like I could like be making that up, but she was, she seduced me and then I'd go along with it. But in my head, I would go back and forth. I'd have that, there was a parts of me, and it's like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this because this person doesn't think it's okay. And then I'd wrestle with, well, no, other people would. you know. And the thing that I thought is, you should go and talk to somebody. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna go talk to somebody because if I talk to somebody, like my best friend, they're gonna tell me this is a terrible idea. And so I'm like, no. And so, anyways, that it just exacerbated and I, and I wound and I, and I wound out. And then I would side with that, the worst part of myself in that sense, because I really wanted to do jiu jitsu. My son really liked to do jiu jitsu there with the guy. I disagreed with that part, but all those other things were important and my friendship was important. So I folded on those values. But if I were to talk to somebody about it, I would have been able to get that perspective and I would have been able to work it out and be honest with myself. And and then I found myself contradicting my values later on. And I always thought, well, what, what could you, what could you have done there? Because I didn't want this to happen. The, she basically, we had her, um, we had sex. And then the next day she told him because it was, they had a really weird relationship. Um, and so he got really angry and they, I wasn't allowed at the gym ever again. My son wasn't allowed to jujitsu, his favorite thing. And I'm like, oh no. And I was just reflecting on that because like I genuinely was celibate and my genuine plan was that. And that's how I felt about her is that I that was a real friend because I never want to be, I've been cheated on my whole life. I've never cheated on anybody. I never wanted to be that person and I kind of was that person. So I'm like, how did you change there? So one thing that I learned is that if I'm ever going through a hard time, the first thing that I do is, is I go and I talk to somebody about it because the weirdest thing is, is Whatever thoughts come up into my own head, maybe this is what it's like for like all of Germany. Because not everyone in Germany who's committing all those atrocities must have been a vile human being. But maybe this is exactly something that could happen. A little push, a little push, a little push. No check-ins with consensus reality. And I convince myself that this is appropriate and okay. And then I realize that that's not my worldview and I regret all of that. And I think about that a lot, and that's my biggest thing with my son is like, just please, like I don't care what you decide to do, I care that you communicate it with me, right? Because you could tell me in it, you could tell me you're doing math, like, but the consequences of not telling me and doing meth are a lot worse than me knowing that you're doing meth. Yeah,
1: and you know, making sure that they on a subconscious intuitive level know that those channels are open. It's one thing to say those words, but have we put in the work so that our kid, their first instinct is to share it. Uh, and, and and that's tough. And I'm, I'm learning how to do that better with my, my first son, you know, in my attempt to help him avoid some of my own pitfalls, I've been uh, pretty, pretty hard on him and it's coming back to, to bite me, but it's good because I'm, taking that as an opportunity to reflect. And I've, you know, I'm in I'm in therapy for that personally. And just then, you know, it, it would kill me to have my son do something and feel that he wasn't safe to come talk to me. The
0: pitfalls are what I was talking about with death earlier and people with crampons is because we get so caught up in trying to alleviate people from the potentiality of of downward spiraling or dying that we end up doing some really fucked up things to those people or to those groups of people in the name of that. And then we become tyranny as a result of progress, right?
1: In the name of progress even, right?
0: And, and you think everything that you're doing is all in the name of your ultimate good. Dude, I'm sure Hitler thought he was the good guy. And that's what I think about a lot in that sense. Because I, like I say, a lot of the things that I do with my son, when I explicitly lay out how he's going to do it and how it's going to be done, obviously not taking out the trash, but like, you know, caps and how he's going to operate his life and his values, it's just just that corruption just sneaks right in there. Um. Well, so you mentioned that, like
1: telling your son how it's going to be done. So there's a great book by this woman called Alison Gotnick called The Gardener and the Carpenter. Ooh. So uh, in terms of caregiving for children. You know, you don't measure twice and cut once on your child, right? There's something that's going to grow. And if you have control over anything at all, what very little control we do have is the environment in which they might grow through. Mm -hmm. And and so really trying to shift. And for me, this is very, very difficult because I'm I'm very much a linear kind of rigid person. How can I... um, cultivate a place for my kid to grow into the person he's going to grow into regardless, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to force him into something that is my plan and not his.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what you do with people in general. And that's what we talked about the exercise thing. And then also teaching people how to pursue a quality life and how it's, it's rife with issues when you explicitly lay it out for them. And then I just get into the quandary where it's like, you know, I see sometimes, with like school boards and stuff and they have like the best interests and it seems that the more people are involved and the more thinking think tanks that are involved, it becomes more and more disconnected from the actual children itself and more and more ideological and like for on whatever, it could be race, it could be, it could be even how bullying is taken care of, they're fully ideological and you see that the people who are setting these things aren't actually bumping in to the boundaries. And that's where I say like someone who is, I find that with the Gracie combatives, right, is very interesting with how they deal with bullying and like how jujitsu in relationship to bullying, right? I think that's an amazing thing, you know? And I even think that in terms of domestic violence too, whereas like you continually empowering the individual to find more ways to preserve their own safety and to move more towards their sense of meaning and, and to improve their life. A little bit more in the way they want to and it'd be hard to say well oh everything's gonna go to hell in a handbasket because like how do you improve things for the worse like i don't if that if that makes sense like because you have a thing with kids and it's like if i just let you do and this is important and it's not necessarily whatever you want but if i just let you unguided right then like you're just going to chase all your nascent there's this like you definitely put the
1: um like when you go bowling, you know, the first time you go bowling, mm-hmm. you you definitely put the bumper plates up so that the they don't gutter ball every time and they can learn. But you the don't basics. tell them how
0: to drill. You don't. You don't make them Correct. drill before you go and throw the ball. So it's it's, it's not no steps. limits
1: and it, and it's not a rigid prescription, right? It's 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 a it's a balance and it's dynamic and it's tough and a lot of our intuitions are not well-suited um, a lot of the ways that we were parented were not well-suited uh, have you heard of this podcast hardcore history
0: yeah I have.
1: So, so he he does a side show called uh, hardcore history addendum and there was one Ooh. called suffer the children and the, he, he basically laid out the point that if you consider everything that was considered good parenting up until i don't know call it 1980 mm-hmm. it by post 1980 standards was basically child abuse so if you imagine that literally every single person who has ever been alive up until and still through 1980 and even today is the product of child abuse we are an entire civilization that is the product of child abuse and so um uh so our, our in our intuitions are sufficiently good for surviving on the african savannas at enough rate to replace the age at which we die mm-hmm. we, we we don't know what our internal organs are we don't know how our brain works and if we just rely on our intuitions we're going to keep like digging holes for ourselves but we can learn how our brain works we can learn how our body works we can learn how we work socially <laughs> we can you know come up with scientific boundaries about what are the conditions under which circumstances people will end up acting in certain ways, both good and bad. And, you know, I, I use those terms pretty loosely, but just for the sake of, you know, illustration, we can, we can set boundaries scientifically to get behaviors that we think are good. And I don't mean to make us all automatons, but I'm valuing the subjective experience here. We can take reports on people's subjective experience, include that in the data and, you know, get to a point where we're we're using subjective experience as the objective function in some optimization program of the human mm-hmm. project. Yeah, I don't
0: know. If, does that, no, that kind of make, make sense. sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing that we have that's often missing because right now our our institution, like the school institution, <laughs> mainly covers the objective experience and then the industrial demands of society. Right, and everything else it just completely skips over. But then again, that's where I thought, like, in Idaho, it was interesting. I had, like, if you, if you had a family, because your family teaches you about, like, philosophy, right? And they give you the, the emotional intelligence, coping skills, how to orientate themselves in the world. To some degree. And I thought that when I was in Idaho, because I didn't really have very much of that, um, that, well, this, the school should provide some of that, right? And this is where I was thinking about, though, with having the that free market from your um the your community members is that I thought the schools should be a part of that. And then I thought it was interesting as a from a parents standpoint that people oscillate between two things. And it's like it's the nuclear family and then the the full trust in the institution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so what I what I found though is is that if you were to f- the so so far the current institution that we have is insufficient in its full scope and the the one thing that i found is real is the golden mean where if you know you try to guess what's in the gel like in the jar of jelly beans and then everybody right, and everybody like tries to guess and nobody's really right but if you add them all up and divide them by how many people are there it averages to write about the right answer with the nuclear family that works pretty well pretty well cuz right cuz that's how that works the average of the nuclear family works pretty well but it does not account for all of the traumas and the extremes but the institution doesn't act like that as they are set up now and even if you were to create like the like school boards and things like that the way that those those ideas are generated and the way that people participate in that i don't think it's consistent with the with the needs of people in the community. I think there's something that isn't the nuclear family and something that isn't the educational institution that is missing in there. What I found interesting about jujitsu gyms, but it wasn't jujitsu. I think it was about a person having their own business and you have the freedom to be able to sign up and go or not and if they don't if they do something illegal you can call the cops on them. But they don't have to operate in the strict rigidity of their uh their thing like gymnastics kind of does because they can't do parkour i guess because the insurance is shit so you, that's where the school kind of sometimes gets to and and how i see it as when you do like uh how am i how am i thinking how programs are developed in these recreations compared to how programs are developed in an institution seems very limiting at the institution side and it doesn't seem to be very adaptable to the individual and from the family point of view, you could see it as the state. It always gets it often gets perceived as the state and is more state control. But with more private institution and in the state providing people to be able to allocate their funds in the private institution, I think it empowers your community members and it empowers adults who want to participate to be able to set up shop, to vie for the available dollars that are around for the community members. And then I think it gets put off from this is the state trying to put more control. Because I was like, wouldn't that be weird if the state taught all the kids what's right and wrong? Uh, You know what I mean? It's like, and I'm not that way. But like, if I'm just taking that frame of mind, there's
1: certainly a a risk there, and we can see historical examples of how that's gone awry. But I mean, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Andrew Yang, and Uh not to make it super political, but like, he's one of the few people that like actually think. Um, But that's his point: is that you you put money in from the bottom and. Then people will use it within the community in a very independence and liberty-minded way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, one hundred percent, I resonate very highly with what you're talking about. And so, that you know, the the we, this and then the balance between like some institution, yeah. either state school or whatever, and the nuclear family. In one sense, I mean, the nuclear family is another one of those relatively new institutions like again so dunbar's number like for the vast majority of our evolutionary time period as homo sapiens we lived in 150 person hunter-gatherer group so our brain um and real quick to set some context here if you look at all of the um uh primates and especially the higher primates chimps bonobos gorillas the size of their cerebral cortex by volume is directly correlated with the maximum size of their tribe, and it, if you co- if you extrapolate that to human beings and the size of the cortex on this graph, it's about 150 people. If you look at um, archaeological and anthropological data on hunter gatherers, they almost always top out at 150 people. Mm-hmm. Um, then, when you look at a lot of major um, uh, organizations in human. Uh, institutions, the Centurion, the Army Company, 100, 150 people. So there's a reason for this. Our brain is capable of knowing intimately well 150 people. We now live in cities that are vast beyond that. So it gets very easy to dehumanize each other because we're beyond our Dunbar's number. And that's what happens is we dehumanize each other once there, there were 150 people removed from any individual and so the nuclear family is a byproduct of agriculture, and so once we had patriarchal uh um, we needed to keep women like owned by the man, so that we knew that the child that came out of the woman was with high probability, due to the sperm that came from the dude, so that he could pass on his land to the next person. That's an all mm-hmm. that's a byproduct of agriculture. So that's the birth of the nuclear family. When in fact, children were literally raised by the community, mm-hmm. like in the in the, in the hunter gatherer group. So, how can we leverage that neurological fact mm-hmm. with um, with today's society? And. So like the nuclear family is kind of important. It's a useful adaptation. I don't want to destroy it by Mm -hmm. any means, but just recognizing that it's just one way to do things and so that we can be flexible. And again, just acknowledge what we are neurologically. We can leverage that information to organize ourselves in in a little bit more enlightened way.
0: That's interesting because I even found that when you start getting to the point to where your community is disconnected from the educational community, your local educational community, especially when people are are attending that community, then I, I could see where a lot of that gets shut off. And that is very much the state. Or if we're to remove all the things, it would be like if you were to have a tribe and then your child would go off to the other tribe of unknown values and unknown, you know what I mean? And they are imposing all their things on there and it has nothing to do with the nuclear family. But I could see where if it's like, getting taught at what would neurologically feel like another community Mm -hmm. and by that principle and all the things that might be of that other community. Cause that's so many different unknowns. And now they're raising their own child in that sense. And then you feel that disconnection because I get this thing even now when people talk about the state, I, I always found it interesting that in terms of education, really how much of your, um, of your understanding of the world, do you actually imprint upon your child, especially when they go off into school? And I don't mean that like, well, we should do more of that and the government should do less of that or the institutions should do less of that. I just mean that like I think about this now as an adult. How do I cope with anxiety and all these other things? I'm having conversations with my 60-year-old mom about this and things that I'm like, she's learning from me and I'm learning from her and more to like peer-to-peer, right? She didn't She's learning some of the things that I've struggled with for a while and I didn't get help with. Um, I can talk to my son about that, and I we have introspective conversations with my son, and I'll have introspective conversations with all three of us even. Um, how do I say that? My mom was never involved in any of that kind of stuff. And the people, maybe it was the demographic I was in, they weren't really involved with that with their kiddos. And it was mainly, you know, like relaxing with the kids and then from, from your work and then from your learning. And that was to the extent of it. By the time you know, you're in like elementary school, getting to sixth grade and middle school and high school, and then all that kind of falls away. And I feel like when you get into the, like, uh, interactions and your kids do things as like a teenager, right? It's like, um, I feel like that, that teacher student relationship, I feel like it disintegrates Far before they become an adult and it's not anything to do with school or anything like that i feel like the, re- the relationship of what it's like it feels like by the time you're five you know and then there's no like implicit um teaching roles that get taken there. i know we talk about like you're going to be grounded and you got to treat your sister i got to do your chores and stuff but i'm th- i'm talking like stoicism and like you know lifestyle all of these things and like religion and stuff like that it just doesn't feel like or maybe i just didn't get that and my friends didn't get that that there was a lot of attention put that as like parents it's like oh you're five you know or like you're six you know most of the work's done i just got to make sure you're safe and you're not partying or whatever right but i've realized now like there's there's a lot of shit there's philosophy there's like and to connect with my son as he gets older is like, oh, you're able to climb now. You like to climb do jiu-jitsu. What's competing like to you? How do you deal with compete? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like the weekend we spend going out into the unknown, if it's my preferred unknown or his, and then gathering some information and learning and growing. We're still learning and growing and playing all the time. And I think I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. But I've never had that with my mom. And that's not something that my peers have had with most of their parents. There are exceptions.
1: Yeah, well, and it's beautiful to see that, in spite of um, not having it, you know how important it is to to give to your son and uh, giving him the vocabulary and the practice. So imagine, like, how he's going to be able to pay it forward to the next generation, yeah. right? Isn't that so yeah. exciting to see?
0: It really is in that way, and I get really stoked about it because I can already see the different relationships with his friends and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and it's or. And that's a progress mind, I, I guess. Even in the moment, I'm really happy that when I get to go and jump on the trampoline and have them um, teach all those kids how to do bulldog, and I get really excited. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but when you're on all fours and like in like tabletop position, and they're standing, you got to trip them. And every person you trip, they got to get on all fours and trip them. And it's like a takedown drill, but it's a ga- It's a full on game, and to see these kids like. Are you could I pull their leg? I'm like, listen, if you pull their leg a trip, they're gonna be fine. Run on a trampoline, who cares? Your parents are there, it's fine. And we do that, and they, they get really into it. And I'm like, creating this memory, and I've like, I've deeply connected with these kids so exactly. This, wow, let's play Bulldog because
1: that's what's salient to them now. Mm-hmm. That's they're, they're making a connection that's safe, fun, intensity you know, dad or who your relationship to the other kids on the trampoline, right? That, that you're, you're, you're setting that foundation for those future hard moments when, you know, dear God, your kid says, Hey dad, you know what happened when you were 17? Um, yeah, exactly. So, or maybe avoiding it because you had those moments, right? Um, to, to come back a couple, um, minutes, you had mentioned something about how there was a, uh, you know, like the lack of, uh, you know, a relationship between teacher and, and student. So there's yeah. another guy I'd love to turn you on to. Um, his name is Zach Stein. He's kind of like, I guess, educational theorist. Mm-hmm. And so, um, y- y- you know, you talked about how the disconnection from local community to school is has a lot of problems. And so, again, so what is it that sets humans apart? It's our capacity to transmit information across generations. Mm-hmm. That's civilization yeah. what is civilization the intertransmission intergenerational transmission of I- information what is education the intergenerational transmission of education what is civilization if not education why is it that like education is among the most lowest funded civilizational projects. Mm. So just mm-hmm. just to set that thing. And then he, he he one of his big things is teacherly authority. And I'm totally gonna do butcher it if I try to explain it. But it's if you Google Zach Stein and teacherly authority, um, it is just a wealth of like
0: whoa. moments, you know,
1: like whoa moments and, and and so um you just had mentioned a couple yeah. things that I thought might resonate with you if you have time to look That's at it cool. offline. Yeah. So
0: I'm gonna go check that out. That uh, sounds great, man. Uh, a teacherly authority huh.
1: cuz you know it's um cuz it is an authority mm-hmm. and you know it's not like a strict disciplinarian it's a special kind of authority mm-hmm. a teacherly authority so he
0: did a real good job of
1: he 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 elocutes it quite well
0: oh really i'm going to yeah. make sure and i'll make sure to include those in the show notes too i think that'll be really cool um uh, um yeah it's uh say, i say The teacher it's interesting, even when I see like some parents and they volunteer and it's an interesting thing that I, that I realized that I have one of my son's friends, their parents, their parent volunteers and like, she's really like active in that way. But a lot of it manifests as like volunteering to help out the teacher. And I was asking her about some things of like, you know, why don't you uh, do some interest based learning? And like, you know, like take some, take any of these kinds of concepts introduced. And introduce she's like, I'm not a specialist on that. What do you mean? And I realized that in the, in the environment there where she's, you know, assisting the teacher and stuff. Um, she had a realization it's tangent that the teacher was actually having trouble with her own son. This is like a third grade, second grade teacher um, because her son was being physical and not wanting to do work. And the son's like, he, you know, in first grade or kindergarten, she's like, I don't know what to do. And they got to relate on that. But I don't I wish that there were more of a platform for that relationship to further propagate as opposed to showing up and volunteering and doing your paperwork. But to and that's where I hope the funding, not just like here's a higher dollar amount, but like I wish there was ways for me to be engaged in the school and actually get paid that way. But not fulfill these roles, but fulfill the the intermediary between, you know, like children and teacher Mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. And and, because I talked to her and I talked to her about creating these learning plans and stuff. And she doesn't seem very confident in presenting information to her child. And I thought that that was really odd because in an educational situation, I never had a representation that I had to be a specialist on anything to introduce it to my son. And I didn't get that from the teachers at all. I got that it was almost more like how you are in the sense of a doctor where it's like, here's all these specialists. Let me take you to them. Let me figure out if like you're genuinely actually interested in this. And now let's commit and go and do that. But for some reason that volunteering didn't extend that further. She Mm. just seemed kind of at a loss. Mm. But yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I I don't know much to say on that. Yeah, I, I I have unfortunately haven't been as involved in my kids' school. Um, uh, only so many so many hours in the day. Well, that's but.
0: that's the thing that I struggle with too, because uh, my whole life's around that in the sense that like, I like crippling poverty in that way. But it, well, it's because I've put everything above that and just lived like as small on my means mm-hmm. as I as I can. But I reflect and she's a single parent or not a single parent. She's there. It's a two parent, two family household. And she's a stay at home mom. And like, uh, I just do not know why that I find myself in this predisposition to like, want to do these things with these kids and, and want to expose them and draw those connections. Um, and then relate with somebody else and realize that like, she couldn't really relate to me in that way. I guess I'm like at a loss for those words. Cause I get involved in the school system and I yeah. see the people who are involved. And that's still not really working out in the way that I thought it would. Well,
1: I mean, you know, uh, so you're also the kind of person that has a podcast with a bunch of that's interesting true, people. Yeah. So, I mean, you're in a really cool position and, um, you know, not to, I, I, what's the way to, you know, uh, no matter how I say it, I'm going to come off sounding like a, a snob, but, you know, I I I'm I'm boggled by how few people read sci-fi and consider like the trajectory of how what we're doing now might relate to you know the future, be it a hundred or a thousand years from now, and so I don't know if that resonates with you. Like you know, you you you. It's really cool that you you see how important it is to connect kids with activities, and um, you you know you're motivated to do that, and other people who are superficially in a similar role to you. Are just kind of showing up and punching the numbers. Is that kind of what I'm yeah, hearing? That they're is kind all about of what it is. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I I feel the same way. Um, trying to talk to people about uh, you know even something as practical as something like universal basic income, like the robots are coming. Like yeah. how, how how does this not? obvious to everyone else that the, the future in the next 20 years is going to be so drastically different than what we know it today. And, um, and also I don't know what that means other than to resonate with kind of what you're saying.
0: It does because I kind of found myself at a loss for a moment there, but you completely put me back on track because even when you, and this isn't a denigration to that person at all, I really do respect that person. But, um, even when you do have that availability of time, because I'm basically like in the same situation now being, you know, unemployed even from, and because of the whole school situation with coronavirus. So I'm at home with my son, you know, the whole thing with his education and stuff, support him with his education, and I have to maintain my house too. Um, but there's no level of like, um, no getting on the level and playing. It just seems like, like if you were to go to a rock climbing gym and to take the kids to go climbing, if you were to go on recess at school, if you were to go on a trampoline, Um, it's always like, here, here you go, you can go and play, and then I will supervise. And then, oh, it's time, oh, let's go. And that's like 80% of the relationships from adult to children I've seen I've seen that throughout my whole life. Yeah. And and I really don't know how to reconcile with that, and the only reason why I do anything different isn't because of like any snobbery, but it's because it's just so boring. (laughs) Otherwise, I don't, yeah. (laughs) And, And like, so, and I just didn't understand that, and those people are, I love those people, and I love I love parents. Those are nice people. Their kids are kind of struggling. And some of that, I wonder if it's some of that disconnect from not having that relationship built through play.
1: Yeah. Most most likely. You know, what is their unmet need? What are their struggles yeah, that I don't see? Um, and... You know, what is it that they're like super focused on that I'm totally blind to and I'm going to get smacked in the butt because I'm not seeing that they're already paying attention to. I can say that now and and, and I'm I'm certainly not uh, that graceful in most of my day.
0: But No, I'm not either. Is there something that you get when given your, your professional role and just life in general? Have you ever had a hard time actually listening to somebody without trying to... Um, interject a um, advice all this, the time because I always thought like if you tell me something I'm a terrible listener and it's like I'm too <laughs> you tell me something and it's particularly tragic it's hard at first I thought I'd be doing a really I would be doing the best I could um, to support you by giving you as many recommendations and like my opinion and whatever I can that's helpful And then I realized that it's really hard to just not talk and listen and to like bear all of that, like, you know,
1: like terrible
0: feelings. For what it's worth,
1: I I, I think I'm getting better at it. It's a deliberate practice coming back to what we had talked about earlier. If I was going to give somebody advice and saying you're hurting and, and I'm here for you. And being able to sit with the the silence when, the, you know, they, uh, in medical school and in residency, they, we do, um, it's not like a course, but like practice on how to break bad news. And the, one of the major steps is you say the bad news and then you just shut up and you sit there and make that pregnant pause. And, you know, if it's long and awkward, it's long and awkward and, um, letting them in an inviting way, making sure the other person knows that it's safe to talk when they feel ready, and so many people aren't in a place where they need or want or could even listen to advice and so but being in the presence of another another human being who sees your suffering and holds it in compassion without judgment does most of the work mm-hmm. and, and and is, you know why is it that we talk mostly to quiet down our own discomfort with somebody else's discomfort right mm-hmm. and yeah. so like i hear you i'm here
0: for you that's a very challenging thing to do oh like i said i'm not good at it. i can say these words and the funny thing is is depending on how you act um some things might even look good from the outset or look like, you know, you're doing it. Yeah. You get rewarded for it.
1: Yeah. We, we, you know, another part of the problem with medicine is I'm paid by the widget. I'm paid by how much I do. I'm not paid by the patient outcome. And so you can take that on a number of levels, but for what it's worth.
0: And as a, and as a person, your own self, there's a part of you that has to work within that because you couldn't do anything at all otherwise.
1: Yeah. So we're, we're, we're constrained. I I still have to make a paycheck and I still have to meet the requirements of my clinic and do things in in a way that satisfies patient confidentiality and and safety as set by my uh, professional board. But at the same time, I can be honest about the limitations and in the appropriate contexts have conversations about the ways that I think it might be better and um, through through that it'll change incrementally. Mm, so yeah, we're we're absolutely constrained, but that doesn't mean we have to eat it hook, line, and sinker either.
0: Yeah, exactly. Is there um is there anywhere people can find out about your podcast?
1: Uh, I would love it if people would check out oneschoolproject.com. Uh, it, there's uh you can reach it at oneschoolproject247365 at Gmail. There's a Facebook page. And um, if you go to anchor, like Google anchor and one school project, you'll, you'll find it there. Um, I'm, would love to connect. Uh, and, and and there's comment section on each of my posts. So I, I, I'm looking for feedback. I'm looking to learn. Like I said, I'm a doctor. <laughs> Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not an educator. And so um I, I want people who actually know what the fuck is going on to help me. I just can't sit with my vicarious trauma anymore when it seems like there's so much low hanging fruit out there that we can change
0: yeah and i love what you're doing man anything that i can do to support it
1: well i appreciate your conversation man you're i I really love the conversations you've been having and i'm just tickled pink that you had me on yeah
0: and i'm happy to talk to you man thank you thank y'all for listening to this episode of the podcast kevin is so knowledgeable um from the perspective of uh the general practice doctor, and he has you know um, a curiosity and a, and a love for helping other people. I love to see when all those things line up and he's um, and I'm excited for what he does from there that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Sometimes you get really like marble mouth and jumbled up and don't know what to say um. But the more you try, the better you get. At least, I hope so. Or else I'm just going to be like a, a geriatric who's bumbling in his own madness. Um, and I'll be like the rain. <laughs> just background noise. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, to see someone who with Keevan who has such knowledge from a a doctor's point of view and experience working with families in the long term and seeing the reality of um, these short-term interactions which i imagine is is probably what most of it is i mean that's my experience with my doctor and and a lot of friends that i have can relate but i see that people have different kinds of relationships with doctors and Another relationship is, is to, you know, a counselor or a friend or someone who you're close with, you know, and you build a relationship with. I've never had that and I have never been brought up in an environment that's had that. So to see somebody who's interested in expanding that and finding out how to get more access to kiddos and getting um, them access to different professionals in their own field is really inspiring for me. And I like that he also has, you know, he's very ambitious and he has an open mind, which is a beautiful balance. If you want to check out his podcast, you can find it on oneschoolproject.com or your favorite podcast app. See, even that. Had to think about a a URL (laughs) took me so long. I'm 26 years old right now. What's it going to be like when I'm older? It's going to be like five minute pauses. I'll have a a 10 hour episode and it will consist of only a few sentences. (laughs) Uh, And, um, I'll play you out with a song called Water by Christoph Crane. It's a freestyle What's that? and it's water? beautiful. Oh,
2: water. Water's a good one. Love? America. America, love and water don't get along. I'll tell you that much. It's a, it's a conflicting uh, list of variables. What's that? Tofu, Cub Foods, Dao Foods. What? 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 Broccoli? Karate? What? Grizzly bears! Grizzly bears. One day I will have a daughter. So it's probably important for me to be thinking about the water and actually. If I really think about the water, it really makes me sick sometimes because a lot of people on the planet don't have clean water, and we do. That's why I went to the land that my parents care for today to get some well water for anyone in the room to make a point that if we have water, we should probably take care of it because if you think about the fact that we're 80% water, it probably means a lot to take care of the water, which means to go take your sons and your daughters and pray with the moon. Or pray with the river, pray with the ocean, you can pray about anything you want. You can pray about the well-beings of people that aren't even here anymore. And we can get off track and we can be like a grizzly bear flowing through the river or flowing through the woods. If I was a grizzly bear, I'd probably love water, but i probably ain't America so if america was a big grizzly bear this is what it would say it would say this is my well all you other motherfuckers you better get it out of my way because my kids they're gonna drink all the water and they're gonna be really cool your kids they can swim over there in a swamp or maybe a pool i don't know but uh this well right here we're gonna take all the water and we're gonna sell it in a bunch of bottles and then we're gonna see all these people and say here's a tv and here's your role models and then the people that are watching all the tv role models on the tv will go get a bottle because the pill that they try to feed to us is too big to swallow So, I don't really know much about love But I know that there's something right up above And the same thing up above is living in my heart And nobody can take it apart So even if we get the feedback from something like that We pray until our kneecaps get sore And that was the only way that I could ever try to find solutions to a day. You can take an action or you can wave a flag or you can wave a billboard. What will you kill for? I won't really kill for nothing. I'll just stand right there. They can put the knife right up to my throat and say, this is what you wrote. It was his story, but it's her story also. And I know like a turtle, it's a more of f- ingredients that we can get from the ocean. And some like a pebble, and we know it's just emotion. And we're sitting in a room, we're trying to make sense of it. experience. We're sitting in a room, we're trying to be a from the ocean We're sitting in a room, we're trying to make make sense of something and it's all just the same like we were always with the family everywhere that we go and if we take that perspective we always will grow i don't really know about the mass hysteria you can look at me and say are you from america but all i really know is that i'm from planet earth and everyone feels the same but not really in some sense you shouldn't judge the degree to which another person suffers that what taught me through Christian i that I wrote which was a reference that Michael Larson gave me back when I was a little younger like 11 or 7 or 17 or maybe 27 it really didn't matter cuz the dude taught me how to find heaven here on earth and actually he's the one who taught me about the religion for me and it's no religion it's about the water It's about the sons, it's about the daughter It's about looking up at the sun and saying thank you son For all you provide us, thank you son It's about saying thank you to somebody you know It's about forgiving somebody you don't It's about learning how to cope with the pain and standing naked Butt naked in the rain It's about standing butt naked in the rain And knowing most of the airplanes Flowing all around They probably have chemicals But if you pay attention to it Then you're just feeding that system Like meow It's an ugly cat Cause the cat turned a grizzly bear Where was that? It was a city It was everywhere But back in the day The people lived off the land And they took each other's hand And they weren't trying to be like a man Like a big buff ass man Huffing and puffing like a big pumpkin About to get carved out real real quick Because the children of the earth know about the new plan and the new plan is about not sitting around thinking about what we shouldn't do or what they do or what everybody else does it's about planting seeds looking at somebody and say, you're what I need you're a beautiful human being sitting right in front of me I know because I probably dreamt about all of you we've probably been here about a thousand times before in different bodies but I don't really need to go there because that's just the stuff that goes on in, in my head it probably goes on in yours because we're the same instead of a yellow it could be a red A red it could be a blue blue you can see the sky Me, I could see in you. It's Infinity, and it's in this room. It's the only experience that we can consume. Or maybe just be with it, be here. Thank you for making this moment so clear. 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 In smoke...